0: Hello, welcome to the Curator Podcast. This is episode 10. Welcome once again dear listener to The Curator Podcast. I'm your host Mark Fraser and this is episode 10. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty chuffed that I've made it this far. Turning up to do something and remaining consistent is a difficult thing to do when it's just a hobby. But as I've found out over the past couple of weeks, there's a whole bunch of people listening to this wee podcast. I think I've said thanks like a million times. So I'm thanking you again, whether you like it or not. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Before I started this podcast, I did a whole bunch of research. And by the way, if you want to do your own podcast, there's a whole lot of great resources out there. Some of which you'll find in the show notes below. But there's always been one thing that stuck out to me. Most podcasts don't make it past episode 7. This is now episode 10. So, I mean, that's a pretty big deal for me. When I get to number 50, I've got something cool planned. Not that I want to keep you in suspense or anything, but you'll just have to wait and see. On this episode, I spoke to Derek from Make That I Take Records. Make That a Take are an institution in Scotland, as far as I'm concerned. Their honesty, passion and commitment to punk rock is the absolute embodiment of the punk rock frame of mind. Deeker had a lot to say about his passion for punk, where the origins of Make That A Take lie, and above all, he spoke with real conviction on the things that continue to make his record label something worth doing. Make that I take are, in the true sense of the word, a collective, and they espouse anti-racist, anti-sexist, anti-fascist, and anti-homophobic values. Attitudes which are all very close to my heart and are, I would like to think, something that you can get behind as well. So I sat down with Deeker on a couple of benches outside a church on Bath Street in Glasgow. The sound was actually quite good given the circumstances, despite the fact you can hear the crowd in the background and... There's, you know, there's some seagulls overhead that you can hear. But I think it gives it a nice texture. It gives it a proper rough and tumble DIY feel. The sound snobbing me still longs to do all of this in a studio, but I can't see that ever being a case. I mean, even a garage like Mark Marin would be fine, but I can't ever really see myself owning a house. So, you know. But as I said, turning up and doing something with consistency is difficult when it's not a job, because life has a habit of getting in the way sometimes. Make That I Take records is a true testament to the hard work and commitment of everybody involved. As of next year, they'll have been around for 10 years. In 10 years is a long time to be doing anything. And Make That a Take have a lot to show for it, having released a sheer mountain of records in that time. I thoroughly recommend checking out their website if you want to see what they've been up to. As ever, before we get into the chat, I'd like to play a track which has been picked by an interviewee. Derek sent me over the tracks to add, and after reading his descriptions of them, I'm actually a bit gutted that I didn't ask him to say them on tape. So instead, you just need to settle for me reading it. So with that in mind, we're opening with Treading by a band called Kaddish, from their LP Thick Letters to Friends. And this is what Derek had to say about it. Kadish are very possibly one of my favourite bands on earth. I've known them since I was 16 years old and I've watched them grow as a band and as human beings. They are the most wonderful, thoughtful, humble people and they're a jaw-dropping band. To me, they are utterly peerless.
1: The flag choked, we'll be broken, we'll be smothered A hard stone, they all it matters, lasts forever
2: How are you doing?
3: I'm good, thanks. How are you doing?
2: I'm not bad, man. Uh, you're here for, was it Stuck in Summertime?
3: Stuck in Summertime Fest, yes.
2: Tell us a bit about how that came about before we get into the, the night grey.
3: Well, uh, friends with Fraser from the Murder Burgers and Greg from the Kimberley Steaks. Um, this weekend of shows kind of came about in a bit of a happenstance fashion, as tends to happen with punk rock. Uh, we were doing a show in Dundee originally for the Fur Coats And uh, an American band called Rubrics and Revenge of the Psychotronic Man, uh, who have just played. Um, And then Rubrics pulled out, and then a couple other tours were happening, and it all kind of crossed over together. So rather than people trying to compete in whatever, in the sense of our cooperative punk rock community, we're like, why don't we just combine this all and make it a weekender? Um, So we did Edinburgh, uh, we did Dundee last night, Friday night. Uh, Glasgow today and tomorrow we've got a Lethal Lottery show in Edinburgh so uh, all just came together quite organically I guess so that's kind of indicative of the punk rock community I guess you could say Um, I I think so yeah Um, we're all into the same thing you know we're all essentially pulling in the same direction so I think it makes sense for people to come together rather than try to compete because our community is quite a small community but it's quite hands on and cohesive at the same time so uh, especially in Scotland, I like to think that everybody's kind of on the same level um, and it makes it easy to work together.
2: So, I guess that's kind of part of the whole DIY ethic that make that take have. Um Where does that come from, do you think?
3: Um, I think it probably came from the fact that it's very foundation. Michael um, and I started making music together when we were kids. We grew up in Ailith, uh, who... You might have seen Elith in the news recently, uh, with all the floods and and, the collapsed bridges and such like, due to the weather. Uh, That's where we grew up. So we started playing music together almost 20 years ago. And uh, Michael's uncle was in a folk band. And uh, once the kind of older guys realised that we weren't just taking the piss, that we were actually quite serious about music, they kind of took us under their wing a wee bit. And um, taught us how to be self-sufficient, how to put on your like how to put your own gear together was the first thing that we learned. How to put a PA together, how to do your own sound. So we learned that all from like the old folk guys and the guys that played in the covers bands in uh, in Ailith and around there. And uh, we were too young at that time to put on gigs or play in pubs or clubs, and there was nowhere for us to play even if we wanted to. Um, So we put on our first gig when I was 13 um, At a birthday party At a girl guide hut In Eileth So um, I I guess in a way we were DIY Before we knew that DIY was a thing Um, Just because Growing up in the country you had to create your own entertainment And if you wanted to play A punk rock show you had to Do it yourself So that's really the root Of where we learned To be DIY And it was only later on uh, growing into the punk scene, that we found out the DIY was actually a thing, and uh, we, well, I certainly instantly identified with that, and was like, well, this is a thing we can do this, and it all just kind of trickled on from there. So, I guess is that
2: the genesis of make that a take, or was it just your own musical genesis, or was it kind of intertwined?
3: I think it's probably intertwined. Um, we did that show and. We've always done, like, our own flyers and our own posters and all that kind of shit. And then when I went to uni, like, a few years later, uh, we started playing, uh, putting on gigs in a a garage that was actually a shared storeroom with the uh, University Drama Society. So we used to empty out all their stuff, have a show, have a piss-up and whatever, uh, tidy up afterwards, put all their stuff back in and no one would ever know. Uh, And we only ever advertised it, uh, like... To our friends and with flyers and stuff So we did that for quite a long time Until we got rumbled And then we tried to kind of play ball With the university um, Like the union And tried to play by the rules and stuff And then of course as soon as they find out It's hardcore or or punk rock They're like oh turn it down And you're like no You you misunderstand what The the concept and the entire point of this Uh, And I guess it just kind of rolled on Through there from our own experience and I think we formalised Make That A Take. Um, I remember it clear as day, actually. We had, uh, in my old man's house in Ailith, we had a house party gig. Uh, we just set up PA in the living room. And my, my dad was pretty cool. Uh, he he was down with it, you know. Um, and we all got drunk. And then we were sitting one night, that night, afterwards, and we were like, we should do a thing. We should do a thing. And we were playing in different different bands at the time. And no one was really interested in putting us out or... Whatever So we're like Yeah we'll just do it ourselves And we did a, The 15 Minutes album And We did A Try Hards CD And One of my Tragical History Tour CDs And that was basically The genesis of the label And uh, We started doing shows Around about the same time And um, Through trial and error And Ups and downs And years of figuring That shit out um, We're almost at 10 years So it'll be 10 years Next year um, Which is pretty crazy To think that it's been that long uh, but at the same time kind of been doing it for about 20 years because um, I'm going to be 33 this year and I was 13 when we put on our first show so um, I feel anyway in, a, in my heart of hearts we've still got that same kind of childhood boyish spirit about it um, and personally I still get as stoked now for doing something as, as I did back then And if I ever lose that Sort of excitement I think that's when I'll know That it's time to knock it on the head Or maybe do something else Or uh, just see how things evolve Because there was no plan To begin with, really Um, So everything else that's happened Since then has been a kind of strange And unexpected bonus So is there a plan
2: now Or is it still kind of
3: by the seat of your pants Style shit? Um, We've got by necessity, the plan has had to get a bit longer in the vision. Like, with Book Your Rain Fest, for example, we need to start thinking about that, like, a year in advance. Um, so we've basically, we don't have, like, a five-year or a ten-year plan, but we do have an idea of where we're wanting to go. It's a bit more structured than it was previously. Um, but we, we've got our releases mapped out for at least the next six months for the end of this year and we've got most of our shows booked for this year and Book Your Rain Fest almost done so um, everything for this year is on point and, um, and we'll just see what next year brings, next year being the 10th anniversary and the 10th Book Your Rain Fest, even though Book Your Rain Fest didn't start in the same year as the label because um, we did two Book Your Rain Fests in the first year so there was one in the November and one in the, July, in the June I think so. It's actually eight years, but ten fests. It's just uh, serendipity that it turns out to be fest 10 and year 10. Um, so we've got some plans for next year. Um, so it's taken to answer the question, it's taken a bit more structure, and we have a vision of what we want to do, but we're also op- very open to things that pop up as well. Like you don't want to be too tunnel-visioned about it. But at the same time, you don't want it to be a meaningless chaos. You need to have some order to what you want to do if you want to do the job well. Because for me personally, there's nothing more uh, frustrating than doing a half-assed job or something not going as well as it could. And I guess that's embedded into how we do things as well because we've been doing it a long time. We like to treat people how we'd like to be treated ourselves. We like to treat bands well. Uh, We like to... I I think it's standard across the board but uh, every time a touring band or visiting bands come we like to feed them, put them up, pay them what we tell them that we're going to pay them, make sure they have a good time and make sure the people that come to the shows as well uh, have a good time and feel safe and comfortable and uh, free to express themselves without harassment. So um, I think things could always be better um, but I think that's down to the human approach, you know? Like, Uh, I find that if we have the basics covered and everything in place that we would like to have in place for a show if we were on tour or whatever, um, all the rest is down to to human beings and you can't legislate for that. So if we can keep our end of the deal and keep our shit together, (coughs) the rest generally, I find anyway, uh, follows with it. So that's going to be
2: 10 years next year, like you say. um, Is has label been, I guess, successful
3: in your opinion? Um, it's, been going a, it's been going a while, so. It has been. The, the fact that we're even, it even exists as a thing um, blows my mind almost every day. You know, if I, I still get excited and a buzz whenever I get an email pings through that we've sold a record. You know, like I enjoy the ritualistic aspect of putting the record sleeve together. Cutting up your download codes, packaging a little bit of care and attention, and when we're mailing out records, for example, uh, I try to write like a personal note in with um, with every order, and I'll chuck in free ship for people just because like I love buying records and getting records in the mail, and I know how stoked I am if there's like like I don't know like a free sampler or CD thrown in there or something or a badge or whatever uh, because I'm a, a fan of the music. And the process of it. So I like to think that if I can pass on some of that enthusiasm or that excitement, um it can maybe be contagious and infectious and other people will be stoked. So if if I can make one person as stoked as I get through music, then I consider that a job done. And uh to answer the question, uh I, I would say it has been a success because we haven't we didn't have a plan. To begin with, the first plan was like, okay, we'll make these CDs and we'll play some shows. And that went pretty well. And then we did a couple more. Then uh, we started doing Joey Terrifying, and Joey Terrifying did pretty well. Uh and that was when we did quite a lot of touring and got the name around, kinda like the label. And then um and we broke up five years ago, and then with uniforms. Uh, I did a lot more touring than we did in Joey Terrifying, and we put out our own shit, and we always stuck to that. And then for the first time, we had other labels who were wanting to put out our stuff and work with us. And uh, with all the the touring and grafting that we did, um, I think that kind of fed into the label as well. And that's how we met lots of our friends from America and uh, around Europe. So as far as being a success goes I would say we had no plan and something now exists. So there's been a creation there. Um so yeah, I, I think that makes for success in itself. I mean um but obviously it would be tremendous to be making thousands of pounds and not need to work and have a day job and do all that. But at the end of the day, um in its very Genesis, it was a vehicle for putting out our own CDs. So um, but yeah, I, I would say it's a success and everything else that's happened has been just uh, a series of fortunate circumstances and surprises and um, uh, continues to be a challenge, um, but I really wouldn't have it any other way and uh, I, I like the fact that we've really not compromised on any of our principles and um, I really i am proud of all the bands that we've worked with and the music that we've put out and if I've been able to help some of my friends or our friends bands put out music that might not previously have been out there, then I consider that a success. Um, so yeah, I've, I'm, I'm happy with how things have developed. Um, things can always be a little better, but uh, we learn with with every release, with every show, with every new Enterprise. So hopefully we can continue along that learning curve and we'll see what the future brings.
2: You mentioned that they're still sometimes challenging. What are some of the biggest challenges you've faced over the past 10 years?
3: Um, Venues in Dundee has been a problem um, that's kind of reared its head from time to time. Uh, We were kind of a little spoiled when Kenny, who's part of our collective, he ran Cage. So we had a home base for essentially five years Um, which was great because we had the run of the place, but it was also really quite hard work because it was a club, and it's a great club, but it wasn't a venue. Like We had to bring in PA and all the gear every single time that we did a show, which was a challenge, but one that we enjoyed. And after a few years and a lot of shows, we kind of knew what we were doing, and we kind of built it from the ground up. Uh, It started really, really basic, and then as we... Gained more experience And knew what we were doing a bit more And uh, knew how to interact With with people Because like, we were learning as we were going along as well Like, We knew the logistics, you need a backline You need a PA, blah 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 You know all that stuff, the principle of it But it's another thing entirely when you're doing it On a regular basis and you need to build These PAs and set up a stage It's almost like creating a venue Out of nothing, just from the space So that was a challenge to begin with uh, And then Kenny sold up his interest in the club because uh, he was working full time as well he was running the club and he did this for for eight years um, so finding a home base in Dundee has been a little difficult but we've started with a, a place called Room at the Top uh, which is in the same it's actually the same building as Cage it's just the venue above it um, and we've been doing shows in Buskers, which is a cool space but it's it's, it's a rock venue it's part of the machinery of the Scottish and wider music industry. It's not principled on DIY punk rock or how we would do things. It's a business, and I, I understand that. And obviously, these places have their place, and it's. but I feel we exist outside of that machinery. Um, and it's not to get, denigrate the place at all. It's, as I say, it's a great mid-sized rock venue, it sounds really good, like Dougie the Booker's a cool guy Russell the Soundman's a good friend of mine um, and everybody loves the big shows, you know like when you've got like Andrew Jackson Jihad or Dead to Me or Big American Band uh, everybody loves the shows where there's like 150 200 people there um, and for a place like Buskers, that's tremendous, you know um, but when it comes to the lifeblood of the DIY punk scene, which is, like, say, your Tuesday night obscure German punk rock band who are maybe going to bring 20, 30 people out in a space like Busker's, A, it's expensive, B, if you've got 30 people in there, it's going to seem cavernous and empty, whereas if you have a basement or a floor show and there's 30 people there, you know that those 30 people there are there because they want to come and support the music whereas in commercial venues if you're just putting on a show it's like sometimes it can be like you're interrupting people's beer um people that are out for a quiet pint and that doesn't make for a comfortable environment for anybody and doesn't make economic sense for us as a collective to be spending a lot of money on venues uh say for example you've got this diy tour coming in you're You've said you're going to pay 150 quid for the band. You're going to put them up. You're going to feed them. Usual standard deal. Well, when you'll need to pay for venues, a 150 show, pound show becomes a 250 pound show, which means you might be able to cover the band, but you're going to lose your money on your venue. And that's okay, but it's unsustainable. Um, and you kind of keep doing that. I mean, I know a lot of promoters... Well, not a lot, but I know promoters who have lost money hand over fist and continue to do so and don't seem to see that there's a problem or where the disconnect comes in. Um, And I have no issue whatsoever, like, at all, with if we're down on money, paying out of our own pocket to pay a band. You know, I've been in touring bands, I know the drill. Uh, That money can be important. It's your lifeblood of getting from A to B, you know. Uh, So no qualms whatsoever. Paying, paying bands but when it comes to venues that would have otherwise been empty and you've had thirty, forty 40 people in drinking all night and you're getting charged venue hire um, it just makes it unsustainable and especially if you're losing out on on money that could have gone to a band or could have gone towards our next show or next release or whatever um, that's unsustainable and that's something that we faced in Dundee this year uh, for the first time so that's been a fresh challenge um, but as I say That's something that's continually development, uh, developing And you asked about the long game And the plan We do have a, a long game Kind of long term plan um, The ideal is to have our own space um, That takes time uh, And money Capital uh, Which I'm sure we could Find if we, we needed to um, But it's just a matter of finding the right space Dundee as it is developing at the moment You know there's a lot Of investment and money going around there Uh, Not that we're seeing any of it But There are opportunities available I think it's just for us It's a matter of timing And finding the right space So that's something that we're working towards um, And we're continually developing that idea There's nothing set in stone um, But we will let everybody know As soon as there is uh, Some news on that front And uh, beyond that, challenges uh, Most of it's been a pleasure You know, there's been uh, Most of the challenges, I think, have been Just learning how to deal with people uh, People's expectations Um, One of the the beauties of the DIY punk scene And punk rock in general Is people don't tend to have unrealistic expectations There's not a lot of diva behaviour There's only a couple of times there's been issues as regards money, um, certain bands have been like, oh, well, you agreed this. And we've always paid. We've never knowingly or deliberately underpaid a band. Uh, but there have been occasions where bands have been like, well, uh, we need more money than we agreed. Um, I'm not going to name any names, obviously. But uh, what you learn from that is you just don't have these people back. And the punk rock community word gets around you know like you don't want it to sound like a boys club or a hush-hush secret network or anything but um you gotta treat people like you'd like to be treated yourself you know like uh, i'm a great believer in kind of what, what goes around comes around man you know um and we've learned that um and you just have to do the best that you can with what you have and um just from the years it's Not being a challenge as such, just a continual learning curve. Uh, There's challenges that come with touring and being in a band and being away from home and uh, speaking and sounding like I do and trying to communicate with people in foreign countries and stuff. Uh, But that's a completely, like, that's a joy. That's a good challenge, you know. Um, And I think we've been doing it long enough that there's not really, we don't really, we're not too worried, you know, we don't. We're not really a panicky kind of crew We like to plan our shit out And We've got a resourceful crew You know um, So I would say it's been A learning A developmental uh, Experience Rather than a challenging one
1: I think I need you like a-
2: Do you often find or have you often found, not just with the label, but generally in your sort of musical creative life, I guess, that do you often think yourself rubbed up against that kind of commercial interest, like in the way that you have done for getting venues in, in Dundee, for example?
3: Um, well, we've had there's been a couple of instances where we've had advertisers and um like people want to get on board. Um there is a company, a brewery, who I won't name, but uh, at one point um, we messaged them and we we're like, "Oh, um, would you be interested in getting involved in doing this? We could be doing a little bit of help." Blah blah blah. I uh, pitched them a couple of ideas and they weren't interested at all. Like, didn't even get, receive a response. Uh, and then a couple of years later, once things had started to uh, get a little, kind okay, of the wheels had began to turn a little more, and we had Leatherface up to play and Dead to Me and stuff. Um, for the next book you're in fest, um, We had an email from, from this brewery saying, oh, we'd uh, maybe be interested in getting involved. And it's like, well, we don't need your help anymore. <laughs> when, when we needed your help, you weren't interested. And now we don't need your help, you're kind of bandwagoning or something. Um, so we turned that down. Um, and I think that's the only kind of commercial... Um, proposition we've ever really had, I mean the way that bars and businesses and live music works and everything you know, like, most people are worried about getting money over the bar, how much money they're going to make on the bar, money, money, money money, 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 money and I understand that money is important it it is, because it fucking fuels everything, you know Um, but it's never been a central focus of ours and it's never driven what we do Um, I me, personally, uh, I almost deliberately try and um, kind of go against that. Uh, I think the more, quote-unquote, successful we've become, the deeper my interest in grindcore, hardcore, crust, and uh, anarcho-punk has become. Um, I've kind of, my own personal taste, maybe moved away a little bit from a kind of melodic, Punk rock that pervades, you know, uh, kind of bro punk or whatever. I've never really been a massive, like pop punk person. Um, certainly not in the new school of, of kind of pop punk. So there was almost like this divide in the punk scene as well. You've got your overtly commercial pop punk. I couldn't, tell, I couldn't even give you a name of a band, but like you'll see, um, like loads of kids. Uh, going out to see, I don't know, A Day to Remember or something like that. Um, But you'll never see these similar bands out at, like, like a DIY punk show. Um, So I think there's a disconnect in the punk scene there as well. (laughs) Like, I think there's, like, the commercial kind of punk scene the bands that will maybe play The Garage and uh, play for some other big promoters, come and play the classic Grand or whatever, Um, which is completely valid, you know, but it's just not the game that that I play it's not where my interest lies Um, so commercialism has never really been something that's um, we've had to wrestle with, I mean with uniforms there was a couple of labels interested in doing stuff with us and uh, there was talks at various points of oh could this happen, could that happen but ultimately we didn't think there was any point, it's like we can do this all ourselves, we can remain in control and if it goes well then great, if it fucks up, then it's our fuck up um, so that's why we, we've we always kind of stuck with doing things our own way um I mean it's great to have help, you know, I'm not relentlessly beating a DIY drum, um I'm not, I certainly try not to be overtly holier than thou about it, like, uh, we would have never got our US tour booked if it wasn't for having a booker over there and having friends over there, you know um but commercialism is a concept uh, the biggest issue that we've had running the label is we don't have enough Kaddish records like they sold out straight away pretty much and um, because we're just a small label we are way down the line when it comes to getting into pressing plants that's my latest bugbear, you know, like uh, major labels can afford to go slap bang. There's a million dollar exclusivity contract. You just press our records now. Here's the fourth repress of the digitally remastered Led Zeppelin II record from 71. that They're selling to people for the third or fourth time, you know, but which is, again, they're licensed to print money. And they don't care about the the hardcore man from Dundee who need a repress of their LP uh, so that that angle of it is kind of frustrating and you're always fighting against against the big boys you know like they're always going to uh, wh- whether it's shows promoters labels pressing plants or whatever um you're always going to be getting squeezed uh when you're doing it trying to do it independently trying to do it your own way trying to do it with um without commercial goals in mind um but that—that's the biggest thing. Mostly, I guess we just operate out with the sphere of commercialism, so it's not really something that we—that I put a lot of creed into. Um, if it pays for itself, tremendous. Um, if we lose a shitload of money, well, touch wood—that's never actually happened. Um, we've only a lot—we like have lost money on shows, you know. Everybody has. I—I I don't think you could meet anybody that puts on shows that's never lost money. Um, but we've never lost. Hundreds of pounds. Um, I think there was one show, and it's when we were uh, in America. uh, And we tried to do a show, uh, run a show back here as well, and it didn't quite work out, you know. Uh, But that was once, and that was anomalous. Uh, So as long as you do things smartly, you book things with a plan in mind rather than just going, yeah, we'll give you 600 quid on a Wednesday. You know, if you're smart about these things and you give it a little bit of thought, um, it's achievable. Um, But it's also good to have a backup plan in mind as well. So if we ever make any money on shows, uh, which is rare, uh, it just goes straight back into the pot. And there's always something else needs paid for. There's always, all right, we need to get sleeves for this record done or we need to get another batch of T-shirts pressed up. Or There's always something else. So all the money that comes in immediately goes straight back out into something else. So none of us are making money off it. Uh, we all work full time jobs, uh, and some of us work more than one job. So there, it's not a money making enterprise. But if we can make it pay for itself, then I consider that
2: a success. The sense of community is obviously quite strong. You built it up over like nine years. Um, how it, How do you feel when you reflect on that? How does that feel like that you've been part? I mean, from my from my point of view. I take is quite an important part of the DIY punk scene in, in Scotland and it's always been there. So does that something you ever consider? Like
3: well, that's a lovely thing to hear. Um kinda had a discussion about, about this sort of thing the other day, and it's not something that I consciously think about too much. Because, um, you know, you're always trying to what's coming next, there's not an awful lot of time for reflection. Um but I would like to think that we've uh Kind of, we've done our graft, you know. We've kind of done things on a grassroots level. Uh, we've done thing. I think our evolution has been gradual, um, and I think the label's grown as we've grown as people. Um, and it, it's nice to feel part of something, I guess. Um, it's, it's not. It's not why we did it, um, but the community and this Scottish. Punk and rock in general is just tremendous. I mean, today uh, there's going to be what 150 200 people knocking around later on. But fest's always crazy busy, um, and I would like to think we've contributed positively to to our community. And uh, I mean, it's lovely to hear people say things like, "Oh, it's uh, you guys are an important part of the the punk scene and stuff." Uh, which, I mean, it's quite embarrassing almost. I kind of feel like quite shy and. Uh, I'm kind of blushing about it Uh, It's quite silly really Because it doesn't feel like It's been work to me You know Uh, I kind of feel like Or I like to think That I would still be doing this anyway Whether or not people were paying attention Um, And it's just like Made lifelong friends Through the punk rock scene You know Uh, You don't like we're all, I guess we're all looking for something. You don't get into DIY punk rock by listening to the charts or uh, the radio or whatever. Even if, if you're into like commercial rock music, you might not know about. Well, like if you look at it, like you'll get two hundred, two thousand people out to a Rancid show, uh, but then like the rabble who are like from New Zealand who are just like Rancid sonically, you know, they might play to like 30 people, and it's like where's that disconnect? Um, marketing, commercialism, major labels, awareness, like you know, money is maybe that difference, but uh, you don't stumble into DIY punk by accident, I guess. Um, you kind of seek it out, and everybody's kind of, everybody I know in the punk scene's kind of a bit of a nerd, a bit of a misfit, a bit of, of a weirdo, but they know that. And um just it seems to be a commonality, you know. Like people connect on I like think people connect on a very personable and human level. Um that's bound together by something stronger than just the music, like you know, the ethic, the way that you treat people, um the way that you talk about people, the way that you express yourself. Um I think the the punk scene I mean it's microcosmic wider society. But as a generalised point, uh, I think people plugged in and part of the DIY punk community are acutely aware of the expectations and the responsibility that they carry for themselves and for the punk scene, if you know what I mean. Um, So it's almost like people know what's expected of them and what's not expected of them um, and how to behave and how to behave towards others. So, if we've played any sort of role in bringing that together and bringing one person into that community or giving a positive experience or positive release to one person, then I think that's important because people are important. Um, There's six billion, seven billion of us, but you know it's important to have that human connection. And I think, I think that's ultimately, once you unpack all the other shit is what's really important about DIY punk it's the connection and and the release and the, and the giving people a a space to do that I guess and to feel part of that it's tremendously gratifying and uh, if someone takes something positive from it if someone can take one percent of the positivity from punk rock that I've taken from it then I'm happy.
2: That sense of community obviously powers what you, everything you just said is basically powered by that sense of community. Do you ever do you ever reflect on that of like when it started for you, like when you sort of started to get that feeling of doing it all yourself? Like, what was the? the I know you talked about when it started, but like, what was the moment that you realised, hang on, I need to do this?
3: I don't really know if there was any one particular moment, um, but I remember on my sixteenth birthday. Um, my Band Humus Kaif were playing with a Dundee band called Mercury Tilt Switch and a band called Tennessee Kate, who were from Perth. And they were the kind of older boys that I knew. Like, I've got an older sister, and they were her pals who were slightly older. And uh, we went and played this show with them at the West, old Westport in Dundee. And it was then, I think, where it was just like, we can do this. Like, just like, they're doing it, they're awesome. Like, their bands were amazing. To me, it was, like, wow. And I remember seeing Tennessee Kate earlier on that year playing in Blair Gowrie. And they're playing Ramones covers and playing, like, punk rock in the middle of Blair Gowrie's Well Meadow in the town centre, and jumping around and going nuts. And that was the first time I was, like, exposed to, like, live music that was anything other than classical or church music or... um anything like that, or, like, kind of cover bands or or anything like that, so I think that was then, like, seeing them play, it was like, oh, I can do that. And that's when I really started to play guitar for the first time, because it was always Michael that played guitar, I always wanted to be, like, the lead singer and centre of attention and jumping around. Uh, But seeing them play, it kind of set a light bulb in my head, it was like, I can do that. And it just went from there, and um, never really thought about it. Just kind of kept on keeping on doing what it is we try to do. But
2: there must have, surely there was a moment when you kind of went from
3: liking the commercialist stuff to the stuff that you like. Um, yeah, I um, always used to get tapes, steal tapes from my sister and our pals. And she uh, had this one pal that lived down the road who was a wee bit older. And he was a skateboarder, so I thought he was, like, the coolest guy. And he always used to give me tapes. So, um, he always used to give me, like, Nirvana, Rage Against the Machine. And I remember getting a copy of the Offspring Smash and uh, reading through the liner notes. And I happened across Dead Kennedys, just the name they were thanked in the in the thanks list, and I instantly loved that band. And I was just like, they're called Dead Kennedys. That's the greatest name I've ever heard. Um... So I had a paper job at the time, and I saved up all my money, and I went through the gold rush records in Perth, and found uh, this Dead Kennedy's CD, and it was fifteen pound, and I was like, "Oh, that's expensive, you know, that's a month saving." Um, and, I, and I bought it, and the guy in the shop was like, "Oh well, do you know about this?" And he like showed me all like the Fat Wreck stuff, and I knew about Green Day, and I knew about the Offspring, um, and I'd heard people talk about like No Effects and stuff, but I didn't know anything about it. And then that just opened up this entire world for me. I guess this was probably about 95. Um, I was aware of, like, Nirvana and stuff in, like, 91 through my sister and that, but I didn't really have, like, an active interest in it until I started, like, stealing the tapes and giving it a bit more listen. Uh, I guess it was Green Day and The Offspring that kick-started my, like, active interest And then once I found Dead Kennedys and went to Gold Rush Records, and they were like, "Check out all this shit." That was that was when it opened up. Um, Yeah, there was never really one particular moment uh, that that blew my mind. Just like a series of kind of mind altering moments, perspective altering moments. Maybe it would be like seeing Tennessee Kate. Definitely going to Groucho, uh, going to Gold Rush, and buying that Dead Kennedys album. Um seeing green day in in ninety eight um it just kind of it blew it all open and by the time like I finished high school or whatever it was like the punk it was like when it was I was like me and my buddies were like the only punks in school you know we went to blairgary high school there was like a thousand kids and three of us were like blue hair and garage worker shirts and wallet chains and shit like that. And then, like, the whole new metal thing kind of came out. And I was kind of into that. I'm not going to lie, you know. I wasn't too cool to listen to Limp Biscuit or Corn or whatever. Yeah, it was at a certain age, I think. <laughs> totally. But also, while it was happening, I was I was aware that it was kind of commercial rock bullshit at the same time. And we used to go to, like, Leeds and uh, Leeds Festival and we would always, like, camp out in the, the lock-up stage and stuff rather than, like, being at the main stage. So I guess there was kind of an anti- Mainstream music thing going from when we were quite young, and like when we were young punks, we were just we were interested in pissing people off and being offensive and gobby, and our bands were terrible. Uh, it t- took a long time of being really, really terrible until <laughs> we stumbled upon being in any decent bands. But like when we were young and initially, like that was the th- the thrill was in the doing of it. Whereas like now, the sa- the satisfaction comes in a, in a different way, maybe because uh, you progress as a person and musically and your abilities grow and whatever. But when we started uh, started making music, I didn't care about any of that. It was like, right, okay, cool, we've got a band. Okay, we suck, we can't play. Uh, we don't have a name. We don't have any songs, but we've got a band. And it was like kind of our little gang. And in a way, I guess, like that's how people create their identities, you know? like Bouncing off your friends and you take on all these experiences and all these... Parts from other people and other places, and I guess by the time I kind of hit uni and started doing those shows in the garage and stuff like that, it was kind of that our, our map was kind of set. You know, like we would see like the indie bands and stuff like doing their big shows, and they never seemed to like have fun. They never seemed to enjoy themselves, and yeah. people were always <laughs> falling out with each other. And it was like, oh well, we want to play last, or can we play? Blah blah blah. And it was like. I never understood why, like people were meant to be enjoying themselves, and we just—it seemed to be such a hassle just to get up there and pout. And we were like, "Why don't you guys just?" It was like, "We'll go on first. We don't care. Like, set up, go, play, be shit, play for fifteen minutes. Entertain yourself. Like, if you can't entertain yourself, no one else is going to be entertained, you know." And that's all we ever really did to begin with. And sometimes like, we were deliberately obnoxious, and then started to, we kind of started to figure out what we were doing. And then we are like, okay, actually we're maybe not, there's maybe, there's maybe something of some value here. There's maybe something of some worth. So we continued to develop it, you know. Um And I think it's the, the, the same spirit of that exist, exist till today, I think.
2: That's the same spirit that make that I take us, yeah?
3: Yeah. Um, it's, al- it's not even like DIY. It's almost like, right, if no one if we don't put on the, the the good punk shows in Dundee, there's not going to be any good punk shows in Dundee. Uh, it's not to say that there aren't like, good punk bands that play in Dundee and uh, people that make an effort and stuff, but it's like, we want to see the bands that we want to see, we're going to have to book them. And if we're going to book them, we might as well... Make it a fucking good job Like There's no point in half-assing anything There's nothing worse than Rocking up to play somewhere When it's clear that no effort's gone in And no one cares That you're coming or going You know There's nothing more disheartening Like being in a band Rocking up to a place like that And it's like You know we've, Nothing's ever going to be handed to you So you need to Create it for yourself And It's almost kind of going back to that That brewery thing You know Like we could have been doing with a hand At like various points in time Um and and it, for me, it's like it's it's good. It's nice to have the option, I guess. But it's also good to. It's also quite satisfying. I try not to dwell. And I don't really believe in pride and being like, "Oh, check us out! Look what we've done! We've done all of this. Uh, our testicles are massive! Look how much we've done!" I'm not really about that. Um cause you don't want to come across as like up your cell. Uh, I think it's important that's one of the lessons that I've learned it's the importance of staying humble and being thankful and being appreciative for the people that make it happen because we could put on all the shows we want we could do anything really we want but it's not going to mean anything unless the people that come to the shows engage with it you know Um, if it was a vanity project it would have wrapped up a long time ago because people would be like this is ridiculous We're losing so much money blah 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 and thankfully people have connected with it in a really kind of primal way and i hope i would like to think anyway that that's born out of the sincerity and the drive and the passion that that we have for it and hopefully that translates and it's almost like you can't expect anybody to be stoked on something if you're not stoked on it yourself like, why would you want to be like, oh yeah, here's our new record. It's so oh, it's okay. <laughs> it's like I don't want a record that's okay. I want a band to like make a record that's like the blood spilled on the on the record, and you can hear. I was I, almost a of, uh, quoting Billy Lyre there. He's like one of his songs. Uh, I right, I want to uh, see your blood spilled on the stage. I want to hear your heartbeat through the PA. That's exactly what you want. Like you know, you you get out what you put in. And that, that, to me, that's the bottom line. Right? You get out what you put in, and your punk scene will support you if you support your punk scene. And if you don't put anything in, you're never going to get anything out. And you've got to have, you've got to be willing to put yourself out there and fail. You know, you've got to be willing to fail and try and learn from those failures, rather than just being like, okay, that that shit, that that didn't work out that one time that shit I'm never doing it again because if we had done that we would have never done anything we wouldn't be having this conversation just now uh, I would have never met people I have got I call lifelong friends I would never have got to play in some of the incredible places that I've had the privilege of playing music um, and I, I, I owe so much of myself to it um, that if as I said before, if one person gets a fraction of what I've got from punk rock, then I would consider that a blessing.
2: I think that's a good note to end on, man. It's quite positive. Anything else Excellent. you want to say?
3: Uh, well, thanks very much for uh, your time. Thanks for asking me to uh, flap my gums. <laughs> I'm, I'm no bad at that. Um, hopefully... Um, people all check out make that a take records we've got a new website for the first time in 10 years or so uh, it was Craig from get it together that did the website for us that's another thing about the punk rock community like we put out the get it together seven inch uh, Craig did our website and I went on tour with them all this year, and uh, Craig was in my band 13 Broken Fingers when we were doing these gigs at Stirling Uni like uh, 12 years ago and stuff like that. So it, it is a family, it is a community, you know. And um, I would encourage everybody to, to seek out your local punk scene and get involved. Uh, go to a show, start a zine, start a podcast, start a band, get involved and just speak to somebody. You might, you might find a pal. And if you don't get on with one person, then you might get on with the person standing next to you. Pick up a seven-inch, like, Kimberly Steaks, for example. might find your new favourite band. If you're not into them, you might like the Murder Burgers. You know, like, it's all linked. Um, So thanks to everybody that continues to support what we do. Uh, Thank you to you yourself for uh, having me. It's been a pleasure. And um, keep up the good work.
2: Cheers, man. Thank you.
0: You know, I've interviewed a lot of people by this point Some of them were great, like that one And some of them were alright I'm never ever tired of hearing someone talk at length about the things that they love To see the fire in their eyes The look in their face as they talk about something that's important to them And that's a feeling, that's something that I'm never ever tired of seeing My favourite thing about podcasting is that it's just you, the guest and me You're listening in on a conversation that I've recorded just for you. Conversations that I think are worth something, that are of real value and that hopefully give you something inspiring or powerful or illuminating to take away. I think that one was no exception. Thanks for listening. Please take some time to check out the website, that's thecuratorpodcast.com for more information and to subscribe to the newsletter. I'm still doing okay in iTunes, new and noteworthy, and that's all because of you. So once again, I'll never stop saying this. I'll never stop thinking this. Thank you. I'm going to play you out now with a track from one of the very first ever Make That I Take releases. It's called You're Still All That Matters To Me by 15 Minutes. This is what Deeker had to say about this one. This album was one of the first two Make That I Take releases and features Michael, Gain, Lindsay and Barry Kidd, two founder members of Make That I Take. Gene and I started our first band together in the mid-90s and it was us who played that first show way back when in the Girl Guide Hut. This song was written in memory to our good friend Graham Motion of the band Allegro and a whole crew of us are involved in the gang vocals. I think this song and sound encapsulates the purity of our intent and the sincerity of our delivery. Everything we've done since then has been built on these principles.
1: And story and song And invite you friends to sing along Look out for each other Cause you're all we've got We won't be sold So rented or bought You've earned your place in my heart Where you will always be And when we are together Hope you can see So come on And sing with me